Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's known as the toughest foot race on earth. Uh, it's called the Marathon of the Sands. And the Marathon of the Sands is a 251-kilometer long run that crosses the Sahara Desert in Morocco, and it lasts for six days. And participants run, walk, some of them probably crawl across the scorching hot dunes of the desert where temperatures can reach as high as 50 degrees Celsius in the daytime. And if that isn't tough enough, uh, they must also carry their own supplies the whole way in a backpack probably weighing around 35 kilograms. So the, two th the 2021 edition of the Marathon of the Sands was especially grueling with nearly half of the competitors failing to cross the finish line. And I must admit that I'm, I'm fascinated by these kinds of races. Uh, I'll probably never ever do one myself. Uh, but, but these kinds of races fascinate me. And, and maybe they do some of us as well. I think many of us are awed by such feats of endurance. Now, maybe it's because when we hear about these races, they challenge us to rethink what is possible. Now, maybe they inspire us to push our limits, uh, to, to run harder. Now, some of us, I know, have the goal of completing uh, a long-distance run this year. I know some of us have, uh, I know Mark, you have a goal for completing a 5K run. I think you've done that. Great. <laughs> you know, other of us may have a goal for completing a marathon or even longer. You know, however long we run, whether it's a 2.4-kilometer physical fitness test or a 42-kilometer marathon, you know, we all know that running requires perseverance. You know, it's one of those things that maybe we don't like doing, but we somehow know that it's good for us. You know, for example, marathon runners are known to hit the wall, oftentimes around the 30-kilometer 30, 30 mark. Right? What does it mean to hit the wall? It means that their bodies suddenly run out of energy, their legs feel as heavy as lead, and they basically just want to give up. That usually happens around the 30-kilometer 30, 30 mark of a marathon. And it takes determination. It takes endurance to push through the wall when you hit it. I think it's no coincidence that Scripture often describes the Christian life as a long-distance race. And the examples of men and women of faith that we read about in Hebrews 11, they encourage us to keep running, to persevere in living by faith. You know, in order to preserve our souls, we must have faith in God's promises. And these Old Testament examples show us what faith is, what it looks like to live by faith. But these examples are given to us not because we are spectators, we're just watching passively as they run, but rather we are to run with them. 
Verse 1 of our text says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Friends, when we believe in Jesus, when we trust Him to be our Lord and Saviour, we begin this journey of faith. This race is set before us. Being Christian is not a spectator sport. God calls us to run and to keep running the race of faith until the end. This race is not a sprint, it's a lifelong marathon. This race is not a walk in the park. It will take endurance and perseverance to make it to the finish line. This race is spiritual war. That's what we've embarked upon if we trust in Jesus. As Paul's life drew to a close, he alluded to this understanding of the Christian life. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The sobering reality is that while many seem to start the race, not everyone will actually complete it. This is why the letter to Hebrews was written. These Christians that Hebrews is written to were in spiritual danger. Despite beginning well, they had become indifferent, tired, timid. Some were tempted to stop running. Discouraged by difficulties, it seemed easier to them to give up and to go back to the pleasures of the world or the comfort and safety of Judaism with its familiar customs and rituals. Beloved, how might we be tempted to stop running? Like the original recipients of Hebrews, we need cheering on. We need to continue. Perhaps our zeal for God and the gospel has grown cold. Perhaps our hearts have become harder to the things of God. Maybe we've become so busy and preoccupied with the demands of life that we have little bandwidth to consider how we're doing spiritually. Are we still running? How are we running? How, sh- how should we run the race with endurance? Well, here's the big idea of our text. Keep running the race of the Christian life by looking to Jesus. Keep running the race of the Christian life by looking to Jesus. What does it mean to run in this way? Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2, exhort us to do three things. Run with encouragement, run without hindrance, and run with focus. With encouragement, without hindrance, and with focus. Those are the three points of our outline this morning. Let me begin with run with encouragement. How many of us resolved to get more exercise this year? And we're already in October. How many of us have actually kept our resolutions? No, some of us may have plans to do a marathon. Some of us may plan to exercise at the gym more regularly. You know, whatever it is, we are more likely to exercise consistently when others do it with us. Right? You know, the, the resolution to exercise is a good thing to do with someone else. It can be hard to remain motivated and disciplined if we're trying to do this on our own. So what will encourage us to keep running the race of the Christian life? Well, it's to know that many faithful believers have gone before us. Hebrews 11 mentions many men and women of faith who kept trusting, 
who kept obeying, even when it didn't make worldly sense. The, the, the ones we read about in Hebrews 11, they are the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, that urges us forward to keep running. The believers in Hebrews 11 are the fellow runners who have finished the race. So we're able to run with encouragement to, because we know that we do not run alone. We're not the only ones in this race. These witnesses are not merely spectators looking at us, but more crucially, we are to look at them. That's how they are functioning as witnesses. We look at them while we run. You know, I'm, I'm a tennis fan, love playing tennis. Uh, so when Roger Federer, a tennis player, won Wimbledon in 2009, he, he set a new record at that time for the number of Grand Slams won by a male. Uh, in, in the open era. He, he won 15 Grand Slams, 2009. And in the crowd that day was Pete Sampras, another famous tennis player, retired. Pete Sampras had held the previous record of winning 14 Grand Slams. So Pete Sampras was there watching Federer break his record. And other retired tennis legends were in the crowd as well. You know, Bjorn Borg, Rod Laver, the man who won the Grand, Grand Slam in the calendar year, four Grand Slams in the calendar year, so they were all there watching Federer play at Wimbledon, 2009. But I think Federer was also watching them. You imagine what was running through Federer's mind? You know, these guys have done it all, and I can do it all too. Be just like them. I can beat Pete's record and get 15 Grand Slam titles, beating his record of 14. So seeing these great players in the crowd must have spurred Federer on to win the match that day. And I think that's how these witnesses in Hebrews 11 are functioning for us. Seeing how those in Hebrews 11 have run the race and persevered to the end will motivate us to keep running. Now, if we press on by faith, if, if we do not give up, we too will reach the finish line. These men and women of faith, they bear witness to the faithfulness of God. They were confident in God and His promises, and therefore they lived by faith. They banked their lives on the trustworthiness of God. And they show us, by doing so, they can make it to the end. And we can make it to the end if we are willing to bank our lives on God's faithfulness. And this led them to obey God in radical, self-sacrificial, and counter-cultural ways. They were looking forward to a better country, a heavenly one. And in fact, the Greek word for witness, in verse 1, is where we derive the English word martyr. You know, these men and women in Hebrews 11, they chose suffering over sin. They were willing to give up their lives because they hoped in God. They were the first martyrs. By faith, they looked forward to a saviour for sinners who would be the better sacrifice, the better high priest. And this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us testifies to us that Jesus is better. Now, if we ever doubt that Jesus is better, reflect on these examples of these believers in Hebrews 11. Listen to them. Imitate them. 
So run with encouragement by looking to past examples of faith. When we read God's Word, study the lives of the men and women of faith in the past, both in the Old Testament and now we have the New Testament. You see how these men and women believed God's promises to save sinners through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let their example shape our lives. Let their example motivate us to live by faith, just like them, not by sight. Another good thing to do is to read up on church history. Learn from the many examples of faith through the centuries who have gone before us. For instance, be encouraged by how Athanasius in the 3rd century, sorry, in the 4th century, defended the biblical truth of the Trinity from heresy at great cost to himself. Be encouraged by how Martin Luther in the 16th century stood firm for the gospel of justification by faith alone. Because of his faith, we have the faith now in the 21st century. Be encouraged by how Elizabeth Elliot in the 20th century continued to serve as a missionary among the Warani people in Ecuador, although they had killed her husband, Jim. Friends, we are surrounded by a very great, crowd of, very great cloud of witnesses, both from the Bible as well as through all the years in church history. You know, read biographies, they're good for our souls. Read a good Christian biography. Let that encourage us to pattern our lives after these faithful Christians who have gone before us. We don't run the race alone. Many have run before us and many have finished well. Now, surround ourselves with witnesses in the present by becoming a member of a local church. We cannot run the race alone. We need to gather regularly with other Christians for mutual encouragement. we, We join the church because we want witnesses around us to speak the truth to us, to to urge us on in the faith, because we're not meant to run alone. The Christian life is a team sport. We gather regularly so that we are mutually encouraging one another. So if you're not a member of a local church, can I encourage you to join a gospel community where we can give as well as receive encouragement from others to press on in Christ. If you want to know more about Gospel Community, sign up for the conference with Mark Dever in October, in the third week of this month. Uh, He's going to speak on the gospel, the church as a gospel community. Sign up for that. Find out more about what it means means to live as a gospel community. Fellow members of GBC, we've covenanted together to be one another's cloud of witnesses. By joining the church, we've committed to gather regularly for corporate worship. We've committed to pray for one another. We've committed to rejoice with one another, to weep with one another. We've covenanted to bear one another's burdens with tenderness and compassion. We've covenanted to love and to watch over one another with patience, humility and gentleness. Oh, beloved, we are one another's cloud of witnesses. Therefore, do spiritual good by helping one another run the race with encouragement. No one, not one of, not one of us should have to run that alone. You know, speak God's truth in love to one another. Spur one another on by testifying of God's goodness. Point one another to Jesus. 
And I pray that we will build diverse relationships across the church with older and younger members, for instance. The, the coming together of different generations provides us with many opportunities for mutual encouragement. We can follow the examples, the godly examples of those who are further along in the Christian life. I think that's why we, we, do, we don't just talk about peer ministry, but we talk about ministry across the body of Christ because we need people in our lives who are further along in seasons of life. You know, youth shouldn't just hang out with youth. You know, they should hang out with older people too because they get a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus from someone who is further along. That's why we build diverse relationships across the body of Christ. And if you're someone who's older, you know, invest in someone who's younger. Be a godly example to them because you are further along in the Christian life and you can speak into their life and you can be an encouragement to them about what it means to persevere in Christ through the years. Get to know an older member who has been running faithfully, get to know a younger person. All of us should seek to be a godly example for those who come after us. Second, run without hindrance. So we are to run with encouragement. We are also to run without hindrance. Look at verse 1. Let us also lay aside every weight. Right, in the ancient Greek games, athletes would train to make their bodies lean so that they didn't have to carry extra weight when they run. So they, they tried to lose weight. Then before the race, they would take off their long garments so that they could run more freely. In fact, in, in New Testament times, in, in the Greek games, uh, athletes would run naked because that was how they could run freely without being encumbered by clothing. And in a similar way, we wouldn't wear a business suit to run. We wouldn't run carrying heavy dumbbells along. Well, maybe some of us would, but that's a different story. We know that, that such things will only hinder us. Right? We leave those things behind. Well, the same principle applies when we run the race of the Christian life. Lay aside every weight that encumbers us. Now, what are the weights slowing us down that we must lay aside? I think the fact that the author mentions weights and then sin perhaps tells us that these things, these weights, may not, necessar may not necessarily be wrong in and of themselves because there's another category of sin that we need to lay aside. But these weights, although not sinful in themselves, nonetheless can hinder us from following Jesus. Maybe it's our desire for success, whether at school or at work. And perhaps we spend so much time and energy studying and working that we have little left over for spiritual priorities. Maybe we're too busy or preoccupied with worldly cares and concerns. It may be our anxiety over retirement or health is distracting us from Jesus. Relationships can also hinder us from running the race. It may be our struggle with loneliness as a single person. It may be a dating relationship that's drawing us away from Christ. 
maybe we're too focused on wedding planning. Or we, we may be so concerned with keeping our spouse happy that we lose sight of our calling to please God. Or perhaps we prioritize our children over God. You know, for example, it's easy in this culture to focus so much on academic performance. Right now it's PSLE time as well. Then we neglect to really disciple our children. Habits, hobbies, sports, entertainment, you know, the list goes on. All these things can hinder us from following Jesus. You know, think about the daily routines in your life. Are there changes that we can make to our daily routines to afford us more time in God's Word, more attention for prayer, more energy to meet with God's people, to disciple our own children? You know, just, just think about that. Are there changes that we can make to our daily routines? And do our interests and activities take us away from knowing and serving God's people? You know, we, we spend so much time on our hobbies, perhaps, that we have little energy for anything else. And perhaps we are late for church or absent because we stay up late on Saturday nights, playing computer games, checking social media, watching TV, watching movies, and so on. Oh, beloved, the specific hindrances may vary for each one of us, but we should all be looking at the things in our lives. And we should all be asking this question, does this help or hinder me in running the race with endurance? You know, look at the things in your life, whatever they may be, and ask the question, does this help or hinder me in running the race with endurance? You know, running the race is the most important thing to do for every single one of us who profess to follow Jesus. Well, be willing to lay aside anything that gets in the way of that. If you prioritize running this race, if you want to make it to the end and finish well, then lay aside anything that's, that slows you down. So lay aside every weight. We must also lay aside the sin which clings so closely. I think, I think over here, I prefer the other translation. It says, lay aside the sin that so easily entangles. I think that, that's, the, that's the sense of this phrase. Lay aside the sin that so easily entangles and ensnares us. Uh, the, the picture that the author paints here is that of sin being like a trap, like a net that catches us, that trips us up. The, the images of sin easily causing us to stumble and to fall. Basically, trying to run the race without dealing with our sin is like trying to run with our legs tied together. The author of Hebrews is impressing upon us that sin is serious. It doesn't take much for sin to hinder us. Now, as the familiar hymn says it well, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. When King David let the sin of lust and snare his heart, it wreaked havoc in his life and family. You know, that little 
lingering, lustful look from the roof led David to commit adultery and murder. I think that story in 2 Samuel is a sober warning and reminder to us to not take sin lightly. Even just a little sin is never okay. Imagine if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, bad news, you have a malignant tumour. But then he says, good news is that it's just a really small one, so let's leave it in there. (laughs) I don't think we would be very confident in the doctor after that. We understand that even the tiniest malignant tumour has to be removed. Otherwise, cancer spreads and will ultimately kill us. I think that's the picture that we're meant to grasp from these verses in Hebrews. Sin, though seemingly tiny, is a deadly cancer that spreads if left unchecked. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. Don't make excuses for our sin. Don't blame other people. Proactively put our sin to death. Hardening our hearts, ignoring our sin, being unrepentant about sin is a sure way to disqualify ourselves from the race and ruin our spiritual life. Now, sin is not to be trifled with. Sin undealt with ultimately leads to death. The Puritan John Owen said these famous words, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Oh, beloved, what specific sins beset us? Ask God to search our hearts and our lives. Are we harboring anger, bitterness, resentment in our hearts? Are we secretly indulging the lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh? Are we proud? Are we self-righteous? Do we covet what others have and we don't? Are we greedy for more? Are we harsh and unloving with others when they don't do what we want? Do we complain more than we give thanks? Are we easily impatient and frustrated by life? Do we stubbornly cling on to a grudge, refuse to forgive? Are we spiritually lazy and indifferent? Do we treasure idols that dilute our devotion to God? Has worldliness crept into our hearts? And do worldly concerns shape our weeks more than our love for God? This is just a sample of the sins that so easily entangle us. Beloved, let's lay aside our sin. And how do we do that? By regularly repenting and turning back to God through Jesus Christ. You remember Hebrews has said to us again and again that we have a high priest who has opened up the way for us to come to God. And that's an invitation to repentance. That that should encourage us to draw near to God, to lay aside our sin. As, as As we just read earlier on in the service, know that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. 
Jesus died on the cross to make an end of sin. He bore God's judgment so that sinners like us can be forgiven and made holy if we repent and believe in Him. And Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin. So the sin that so easily entangles us no longer controls us. We, we don't have to be bound or defined by our sins. Jesus has defeated sin. And therefore, we can lay them aside and draw near to God through Him. Now, friends, we have a great high priest who makes repentance possible. A true Christian isn't someone who is perfectly sinless. A true Christian is someone who is continually repentant. That's the difference. Remember, we have a better high priest, Jesus, who has opened up the way for us to approach God, to bring our sins to Him, to confess them honestly and humbly, and to find mercy and grace in our time of need. So confess our sins to God, who is faithful and just to forgive us. I think one thing to note in this verse is notice how the author of Hebrews includes himself in the exhortation. He doesn't say, you all lay aside sin. He says, let us. I think this message is for the leaders of GBC, fellow elders, deacons, leaders of care groups, and so on. You know, let us, as leaders in this local body, let us lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. We are to be examples of repentance and faith for God's people. Keep a close watch on our lives. How are we fighting sin and pursuing holiness? I think we need to hear from Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And then Paul cites himself as an example. He says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So fellow leaders of GBC, lay aside our sins, run the race. Don't be callous about our spiritual lives. Help one another. Lay aside sin that so easily entangles. Beloved, we, we can't be indifferent to one another's sin. We, we can't be indifferent because this, this matters. It, it's a serious matter of life and death. If we take sin seriously, as we should, if we take following Jesus seriously, then God forbid that we should be indifferent to one another's sin. So invite others into our lives. Share our burdens with one another. Share our sin struggles. Ask a trusted brother or sister to hold us accountable, to repent and to grow in holiness. As Hebrews has already reminded us in chapter 3, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
So run without hindrance. We run with encouragement. We run without hindrance. We also run with focus. That's our third point. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. To persevere in the faith, we must keep looking, you know, present tense, keep looking to Jesus. And we get so distracted easily, we focus on our circumstances and get discouraged when things are going badly. You know, we get complacent when things are going well. We focus on our sins and our failures and we become disheartened. We feel like giving up, we think that we'll never be good enough. We focus on other people, we compare ourselves with them. Maybe we start fearing man rather than fearing God or we become proud or envious of others. But if we are to run with endurance, we focus on Jesus. We look to Jesus because he is the founder of the faith. Uh, the word founder means forerunner or pioneer. Right? You know, those of us who are in the army, some of us have memories or nightmares of jungle training. Right? You know, so the, this, term in the, you know, this term that we use called jungle bashing, right? you kind of bash through the jungle to get somewhere. Well, the one who bashes through the jungle, he clears the way for the others to follow. Maybe he goes in with a parang and starts hacking away at branches just to clear the pathway so that others can make it through that path more easily. Well, Jesus is that trailblazer. That's what it means to be the founder of the faith. He has gone in first and he's cleared the way for the rest of us to follow in his footsteps. Jesus is our supreme example of faith and endurance. He's actually the climax of Hebrews 11. I think sometimes we, we lose sight of that because there's a chapter break between Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12. But if you just read it all together, Jesus is the climax of Hebrews 11. He, he's the supreme example of the one we look at to know what it looks like to live by faith. All the examples listed in Hebrews 11, they culminate in Christ. He is the greatest among the great cloud of witnesses. Jesus ran the race and he finished well. He shows us what it means to keep trusting in God and not give up. You recall in 11, Hebrews 11 verse 1, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Well, Jesus lived that way convinced that God would keep his promises to save and even raise him from the dead, Jesus lived by faith. He obeyed the Father even to the point of death on the cross. Jesus looked forward by faith to future glory, his own resurrection and exaltation at God's right hand. I, th I think this sounds a bit strange to us, the, the, the idea that Jesus lives by faith, but that's exactly what's happening. In his life, he trusted his father. Jesus believed God's word. And I believe he was calling to mind passages like Psalm 16. Psalm 16, verse 10 and 11. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol 
or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I believe when Jesus hung on the cross, passages like Psalm 16 must have been going through his mind. For the joy set before him, for the joy at his Father's right hand, Jesus endured the cross. Well, that's exactly what faith does, is it? Faith brings future hope of joy into the present and changes how we live. That's how Jesus lived. In view of the joy that was set before him, Jesus despised the shame of the cross. He was despised, but he despised being despised. By faith, Jesus looked beyond the cross to the crown that awaited him. He counted his suffering as light, momentary affliction. He knew, because he was doing the calculation by faith, he knew that the, the humiliation of the cross, as disgraceful as it was, could not be compared with the joy of resurrection glory. That's what it means to live by faith. Now, beloved, take heart. Whatever we may be going through, Jesus knows our struggles because he walked the same path. He's bashed through the jungle. He's cleared the way for us. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus models faith for us. He shows us what it means to trust in God's promises, to endure through suffering, to live today in light of tomorrow. To run the race means to share in Jesus' suffering. He calls us to suffer with him that we may be glorified with him. He invites us to share in the faith that he had in his heavenly Father. This same faith helps us to see that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the future glory that is going to be revealed to us. So live today in view of future joy. Press on. Don't give up. The word founder also means that Jesus is the source of the faith. He's not merely an example, but he is the originator of the faith. Faith comes from Him. He's the one in whom we trust to save us from sin. All of us have turned away from God, every single one of us. We deserve God's righteous judgment against us, but God in His rich mercy and grace, He sent His Son for us and for our salvation. Jesus died on the cross not merely as an example of faith, but he died on the cross as the better sacrifice. And God's wrath fell upon him in his entirety so that we, undeserving sinners as we are, so that we can be forgiven, we can be made clean, made holy, if we repent and believe in Jesus. All we like sheep have gone astray, every single one of us. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid not on us, but on him, on Jesus. 
the iniquity of us all. And Jesus rose from the dead to give us new life. So look to Jesus. Don't just look at yourself. Don't just look at your sin. Look to Jesus. He has opened up the way for us to come back to God. And we look to Jesus also because He is the perfecter of the faith. The Son, although He was a Son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. And He has been made perfect forever, as we heard of earlier in Hebrews. And His saving work is done. So Hebrews 12 verse 2. Verse 2 says, He is now seated in glory. His work is finished, mission accomplished. And in Christ alone, we too are made perfect, cleansed, forgiven, fully, finally set apart to belong to God as His holy people. Jesus, the suffering servant, is now the risen and exalted King. He is the better priest. He is the forever king. And because Jesus will never die, but continues forever by the power of, the res- of an indestructible life, he is able to save us to the uttermost if we draw near to God through him. He is the perfecter of the faith. He will bring it to a successful conclusion if we keep our eyes fixed on him. Jesus guarantees our hope He guarantees the joy that we look forward to because He Himself has done it. He has received the reward. And now seated at God's right hand, Jesus exercises His power and authority to complete the work that He began in us. Isn't it wonderful? All power and authority has been given to Jesus for Him to secure the salvation of His people. He sits at God's right hand and He will see to it that we make it to the finish line. He leads our way and has gone ahead to prepare an eternal home for us. So we can live by faith with a sure hope of glory. We can keep running and not give up because Jesus is the perfecter of the faith. We can be confident that Jesus will bring us across the finish line. Isaiah 40 says, Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. Oh, beloved, keep looking to Jesus, our eternal reward. Now, what's the best part of running? Finishing. <laughs> right, the best part of running is stopping after the run. <laughs> well, so it is with the Christian life. The best part of running the race of the Christian life is finishing well. Jesus has gotten there. So look to Him and He'll bring us there. Oh, beloved, we will not be running forever. This race will soon be over, perhaps more quickly than we think. Then we shall forever share in the glory, joy and rest of our eternal Lord and Saviour. Keep running until the end.